Section Two of the Golden Web by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book One, Chapter Two: The Purchase. Dean looked across the room towards his secretary. "Give me five minutes alone, Ellison," he said. "And you, Miss Ansell, there, see that I am not interrupted." The young man got up at once and left the room, followed by the typist. Dean waited until the door was closed. Then he turned once more to his visitor. "'Listen, Rowan,' he said. "'Do I understand you rightly? Do you mean that you would be willing to undertake a commission, which you would certainly find unpleasant and perhaps dangerous?' "'I do mean that,' Rowan declared, beating the palm of one hand with his clenched fist. "'I'm a desperate man. I have no time for long service, for industry, for perseverance, for any form of success which is to be won by orthodox means. I am like a man who has mortgaged every farthing he has in the world to take a thirty-five to one chance on a number. Don't you understand? I want money and I can't wait. I haven't time. Give me a chance of something big. Remember what I have told you. Twelve months of suffering life is worth little enough in the balance. You misunderstand me a little, Dean said slowly. What I am going to suggest to you may seem difficult enough, and, under the circumstances, unpleasant. But there is no actual risk, at least, he corrected himself, there should be none. Rowan laughed scornfully. For heaven's sakes, don't pick your words so carefully, he begged. If the thing is big enough, I'm not afraid. If it is dishonest, say so. I'm not a pickpocket, but I am past scruples. Once more Dean was silent for several moments. It was a chance, this, just a chance. He looked out of the window and seemed to see in swift panorama all the splendid details of his rise to power. He saw himself as the central figure of that panorama, respected, honored, envied, wherever he went, east or west. It was a life, his, for a man to be proud of. There was no one who had a word to say against him. No one who did not envy him his rapid climb up the great ladder. He carried power in both hands, so that when he moved, even amongst the great people of the world, a place was found for him. He realized in that one moment what it might mean to lose these things, and he drew a little breath. He must fight to the end, make use of any means that came to his hand. It was a chance this, only a chance, but he would take it. Listen, Rowan, he said, turning once more to the man who had been watching him so eagerly. I am taking you at your word. I am believing that you mean exactly what you say. God knows I do, Rowan muttered. Very well, then, Dean continued. I want you to understand this. The company of which I am a managing director owns, as you may have heard, the greatest gold fields in the world. Our chief possession, though, is the little Anna gold mine which was once, as you may have heard, my property, and for which the corporation paid me a very large sum of money. Did you ever hear anything of the history of the little Anna gold mine, Rowan? Rowan nodded. It was a deserted claim which you and some others had a shy at. Dick Murray was one of them. That brute Sinclair put you on to it. Dean nodded. You have spoken the truth, Rowan, he said. It was a deserted claim. Four of us took possession but the other three never knew what I knew. I bought up their shares one by one. 
I won't go into the matter of law now. I simply want you to understand this. The mine grew and prospered. What it has become, you know. I sold it to this corporation, as I wished to have no outside interests, and the price paid me was close upon a million sterling. Three days ago in this room, the man whom you have just spoken of, Richard Sinclair, produced documents and tried to convince me that he was the real owner of the little Anna gold mine, that it had never been deserted, and that our taking possession of it was nothing more or less than an illegal jump. Rowan was plainly amazed. But it was Sinclair, he exclaimed, who gave you the tip. Dean nodded. That, he said, may have been part of his scheme. He hadn't the money or the patience to work it himself, and it may have occurred to him that if he could get someone else to do all the work, believing that they had acquired the mine, it might be worth his claiming afterwards. I have weighed it all up, Dean continued. I have been to some mining lawyers, and I have spent a small fortune in cabling to the Cape. The conclusion I have come to is this. If Sinclair prosecutes his claim, and he means business, and goes to law, there is just a reasonable chance that he might win. A reasonable chance, Rowan repeated. It isn't only that, though, continued Dean. There are other things to be taken into consideration. We don't want a lawsuit. Several of our smaller minds are doing rather badly just now, and we have been spending an immense amount of money upon developments. Any suspicion as to the validity of our title to the little Anna mine would be simply disastrous at the present moment. Our shares would have a tremendous drop just at the time when we are least prepared for it. Where do I come in? Rowan asked quietly. Sinclair, Dean said, has only been in the country three days. He has no friends. He drinks most of the day. And he is staying at the Universal Hotel, where I imagine that he spends most of his time at the American bar. Now I can't treat with the fellow Rowan. That's the trouble. If I were to show the least sign of weakness, the game would be up. My only chance was Bluff. I laughed in his face and turned him out of the office. But Bluff doesn't alter facts. You and he are old acquaintances. I know very well that you never hit it off together, although I never knew what was the cause of your quarrel. However, there's nothing to prevent you going to see him. He's in that sort of maudlin state where he'd welcome anybody who'd drink with him and let him talk. That is where you come in, Rowan. You can drink with him and listen, find out whether this is a put-up thing or whether he believes in it. Rowan nodded. Anything else? he asked in a low tone. There's no reason, Dean continued, why you should not, if he gets confidential, open up negotiations on your own account. He has some documents, I suppose, Rowan asked. His claim to our mine, Dean answered, is contained in a single paper, which he told me never left his person. You were a lawyer once, Rowan. You know how to argue, to handle facts, to make a bargain. The return of that document to me would be worth ten thousand pounds. Rowan's breathing seemed suddenly to have become worse. His lips were parted. There was a strange glitter in his eyes. Ten thousand pounds, he muttered. It is a great deal of money, I know, Dean said. But understand this, Rowan, once and for all. If this enterprise appeals to you, you must undertake it absolutely and entirely at your own risk. Above all things, it is important 
that neither sinclair nor anyone else in the world should ever dream that i have been behind any offer you might make or any course of action which you might pursue all that i say to you is that i am willing to give ten thousand pounds for that document ten thousand pounds rowan muttered it would be enough more than enough if you fail continued dean and find yourself in trouble i know nothing of you i shall not raise a finger to help you i demand from you your word of honor that you do not mention my name that you deal with sinclair simply as a speculative financier disposed to be his friend remember that the slightest association of my name with yours would give him the clue to the whole thing and would mean ruin here on the other hand before you go if you tell me that you are going heart and soul into this enterprise i shall give you five hundred pounds some of this you will need for clothes to make a presentable appearance and to be able to entertain sinclair and play your part as a capitalist if you fail you can keep the balance as a loan or a gift whichever you like now you can take your choice i am placing a good deal of confidence in you but i think that i know my man rowan struck the end of the table with his hand yes you do dean he declared looking at him with kindling eyes you do know him indeed if i were to die tomorrow dick sinclair is the one man in the world i should die hating he served me a shabby trick once and i've never forgotten it perhaps rowan added perhaps i may now turn the tables upon him no mention of my name mind dean repeated emphatically rowan held out his hand i take my chance dean he said and on my honor i'll play the game end of section two